You can see my award-winning climate comedy show spoilers at a festival near you, provided you live near or are going to McCuncliffe or Wells Comedy Festivals. More dates added soon near you, conceivably, who knows what might happen. And if you are at Mac, come and see ComCom Redacted live at 4pm on the Saturday. Go to stuartgoldsmith.com and click the very attractive banner image to find out more. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com This is a podcast from ComediansComedian.com This is the Comedian's Comedian Podcast. Hello there, I'm Stuart Goldsmith and this is episode 12 featuring Noel Britton, a wonderful comedian who is either on the verge of retirement or has already retired. We'll be talking about that in the show. Um, Lots to talk about today. I say that every time, but it's true. Uh, No more so than in this one, which uh, was such a long and fascinating conversation that we've got about 40 minutes worth of extras. Uh, Hang around till the very end and I'll tell you where you can pick up the extra material. But for now, here's Noel Britton. Now, but we were talking about the, the difficulty of starting without going, so how did you get into it? Now, yes. I know how you got into it, because right. you're, a, you're a street performer, so let me chuck, or you were a street performer, and still yeah. perform the, the, the walk, the walk. Yeah. Bath walk, we'll go into that in, in a little while. Um, I once heard it said, and uh, I know that the uh, Covent Garden uh, rumour mill, the street right. performing rumour mill, is, uh, can sometimes right, be simply yes. that. <laughs> But let me let me let's start by me throwing this at you because I think you're a, an incredible writer. I think you're a. I, I think you've, in terms of a rolling laugh from an audience where they can't even pause to breathe because you've got everything, and, and I mean that in terms of your audience interaction as well, right. where you know everything anyone could possibly say, and you've got all sorts of responses covered. Plus, I, I mean, I've no idea how many of them are improvised, right. but you look like you're improvising well on top of what I assume are stock responses. So. Uh, given that you are that good, and I've seen you be that good, I could well believe the why. Fo- why are you describing the Common Garden as <laughs> the the following? I heard this at Common Garden, and because I think you're this good, I could well believe it. This is the line. Um, apparently, you are responsible for writing most of street performing. Because that you were the only person, or one of the very few people in Covent Garden back in the 80s when it was dangerous, who was sitting down and writing jokes. And everyone came to Covent Garden and nicked those jokes, and they became generic, by which I mean more than two people stole them. Right. And thus, in much the same way as I've heard Alex Dandridge invented the concept of getting the kid to throw you three objects up to your unicycle, right. I've heard from more than one source that you are largely responsible for street performing as we know it. Right, discuss. Well, that, discuss. Well, that's bollocks, obviously. So I'll get, get that straight out of the way. I, I wrote a lot of lines on the street that got. Um, Can you give me some pro- examples? Because I am sure I've stolen some of your lines over the years without knowing who they were. Who's they were? Um, oh, 
Oh, I, well, that's that's when I'm terrible at this. But um, I, some, there was some hat. Lunch. I mean, I'm, well, the other thing that I do an awful lot of is I write toppers and stuff like that. Yes. So it's that thing of going, okay, well, you've got that as a basic line, but now you've got three or four extra bits on the top and sure. stuff like that. So. Um, um, I, I, I can't, oh god I mean street performing such a long time ago um, there was sort of yeah there were some hat lines that I, I quite like just the psychology of there was a bit where just as you bring the hat out you go oh hang on so that, everyone stare at that man walking away like mm-hmm. you know because mm-hmm. someone, someone always away now everyone boo that man everyone hiss that man everyone spit at that man okay and because they obviously boo and they sure, sure, sure. spitting obviously doesn't doesn't happen yeah but there was there was a sort of psychological element of that of oh fuck I can't walk away now because he's obviously because aware, we've seen because, someone because, be... yes he he he's actually aware that people do walk away and he's quite happy to point yeah. them out yeah but um, oh god there are so many elements in this um, but but the thing that I always find with a show and stuff like that is is there are there are the jokes which is obviously the the core element but then there are also things that you need to tell people just on a um, instructional point of view or yeah. you know, that you're going to be collecting money and what you're expecting and stuff like that Sure. now if you've got to give them some instructional information the best way to give that is as a joke Yes. rather than just saying oh god now I'm breaking out of it and I'm giving you information of so, yeah, yeah. so um, this the thing that the street performing grew into which is a sort of guided walk around Bath which uses street theatre around the city mm-hmm. there are bits where I've got to get the crowd across the road yeah. and basically you've got to warn them that you're, you're crossing the road and there's cars coming in the other direction yeah. to the ones they might be expecting and all that sort of business now each one of those is now a gag the information that's in there gotcha so okay. anything that theoretically anything that I say in the walk yes is going to be funny Correct. It's either funny in itself or it's a backup to a gag of information that I need to give. Okay. That, that so you're taking all the individual bits of information and instruction yes. and making them all funny? Yes. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. So if you do that, theoretically, there's no dead time. Yes. So that's that's how I'd sort of always, yeah, see it. So sure. so a lot of the street stuff was that was the was the hatting lines and, and crowd gathering lines and stuff like that. But I mean I I'd love I, what no, I wanted I wanted you to say, Well I first wrote fold it up, drop it in. <laughs> no <laughs> I mean? But there is there's a very interesting story about that, which which is gets down to the writing thing and stuff like that. There, there are two people that I always refer to. There's a guy called Reverend Chumley, who okay. used to work in America as a street performer, very old, sort of grizzled hippie guy that I worked with at the Vancouver Comedy Festival when I was street performing. And he's sort of hanging out with the Karamazov brothers okay. and, and that sort of avenue and, you know, when they're all doing street stuff. So, I mean, a long, long time ago. So, no, I go and see a street show. And it's very funny. He's doing quite sort of different stuff mm-hmm. to what everyone else. I mean, he did like a key bending routine and stuff like that, which you just sort of go, oh, I've never, wow, seen, I've never seen anyone on the street. Thing, no, okay. you know. So, um, but, but quite quirky stuff. And he does the whole... And it's got, got some very funny lines in it and stuff like that. It's very engaging and warm and stuff like that. And, and, and does all... And, you know, you just think, God, this is all original stuff. This is absolutely mm-hmm. brilliant. And he gets to the end of it and he goes... Uh, so, yes, yeah, so I'll be taking a collection. And kids, if your mum or dad <laughs> don't give you $5 to give to the funny street performer, it means they don't really love you. Yeah. Like that. And I just go up to him at the end and go... I said... you. 
you must have written that. You, there's no way that you would do a completely original act and then tack and on, then have on some again. hack line at the end. Yeah, yeah. And because he was this grizzled hippie, yeah. <laughs> who'd obviously been doing it since the sixties, he sort of went, "Yeah, I think I did write that." Well, so drug-addled brain that you couldn't actually remember. But you know, you sort of go, "Oh well, that's." That he must have. There's, there's a reasonable chance he did. Someone, because, did. yeah, some, yeah. someone must have done. And also the fact that everything was so original mm. and quirky, and you know, you go, well, that did. In the same way that I saw a guy, then a couple of years later, on a TV talent show, doing, you know, as a sort of mainstream comic, doing a set, and every single act, every single joke or mm-hmm. line in his act, I'd heard before, mm. and you know, could pretty much know who it came from and stuff like that. And he finished off with one tagline at the end yeah which was really funny yeah but i've never heard before okay and you immediately go well whose is that yes of course not not oh he, that's brilliant that he wrote that because you go well yes and he's not written any if, of it. if he's not written yeah. any of it the chance of him writing one line of it is, pr- is pretty slim no, i mean that's the thing with anything that gen- just generic or you know well everyone uses it like you said with chumley it was that thing of like well someone must have written that someone line originally and and the yeah. first person who took it yeah. You know, we're stealing it, but then once it gets to a certain level, it's like, well, everyone's using it, isn't it? And you know, and, and, and coming from a variety background myself, as opposed to a straight stand-up background, mm-hmm. not just street, but just generally magic and special acts and that type mm. of thing, that is much more. Um, well, it accepted is the wrong word. It's just sort of more. It's more part of the history of it and stuff yes. like that, you know, in that tricks are sold. And but This is it. Is I it... often think of magicians seeing uh, performance as modular. Yes. Like you get this module. You get the module which you buy from a shop. Yep. It comes with a piece of paper that says, do this patter. Yeah. And it's some hoary old patter, but yes. you, you kind of get it and can judge it up. Yeah. But it's the same basis. People almost sell the jokes with the tricks. Yes. And uh, so I, I think... Often, and um, there's a lot of, uh, well, no, there isn't a lot. There's a few interesting, innovative magicians working on the comedy circuit at the moment. Right. People like Ali Cook and Pete Furman. Sure. um, Who are writing their own tricks and creating their own tricks. But there's, I wonder if that's the point at which you need to break through from magic to the comedy circuit is you've got, I mean, I, I have seen people do generic patter on the comedy circuit and to comedians it stands out like a sore thumb right and to the audience they go this guy's incredible yes yeah he's performing the best of magic yes (laughs) well and to an extent you're you're very much hampered by the fact that you're limited by the props and what you can actually talk about while you're doing what you're doing yeah you know if you're you know and, and it's the same problem that jugglers have if you're juggling three clubs yes. you're, you're gonna talk about the clubs and that's relevant to, yeah you know you, you, you know there's, there's not there are not many people who can actually i mean there's a, there was a magician big hero of michael bob reed who did a card trick where he was doing completely non-secretary patter to what he was doing i mean it was literally just a a monologue of one lining okay. one, one line of gags had nothing to do with the cards changing design in his hands as he was showing them to you and stuff like that um so that was that was different but a lot of the time it's you're sort of you're 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 constrained by what you're using and therefore it's sort of 
easier to justify stealing yes. regular routines because yes. you go, you know, so I mean, there's a very standard bit with a bit of rope when you're, when you're going to cut the rope in half where you go, well, it's a piece of rope with, you know, two ends in the centre. Well, if I cut off one of the ends, it's now only got one end. If yeah. I cut off the other end, it's got no ends. And if I cut the middle, it's got no ends and no middle. And then yeah. you put the rope back together again. Now that's that's all sure. sort of justifying cutting it and putting it back together yes, again. Yes, yes, yes. They almost and that's an instructional element. Instru- yeah. yeah, and and you sort of go, oh god, right. Well, that's that's an easy thing to say while I'm doing a cut and yes. restored rope routine, you know. So yes. so so a lot of it is being hampered by the props. A lot of it's being hampered by the again coming from a special background there's what i call the tada moment of yes. in every trip you've always got the business of and that's your card and the rope's back together again and yes. your notes in my wallet and all those things which actually will always elicit hopefully <laughs> some sort of reaction sure regardless so it's, it's everything's building up to that so even if mm-hmm. you're not funny you've got that safety net yes. of yes well, I juggled three clubs on a six-foot unicycle mm. or whatever. And it's difficult once you've got the ta moments as, as part of your rhythm and part of your, you yeah. know, how you think and stuff like that to then go, oh, my God, now I'm just talking without actually anything at the end that I know is going to... Yes. Get something. So is is that why you... Do you think that's why your act, your, your stand-up act... Um, is so punchline heavy because the punchlines are your tada moments and you're you're driven by that instinct to get from one explosive release to another. Um, I think um, um, well part there's, there's, part of not, it part well, of it as that, but also like this you know like you're saying well how do you you know why do you ask about how do you get started in magic and like we were saying before we started the interview it it because that creates so much of what your mindset is and stuff mm-hmm. like that so so very briefly. When I was a kid, my grandfather was a member of the Magic Circle, just as a hobbyist. He showed me a few tricks when I was a kid. That was, I was quite shy as a child, you know, usual sure. shyness thing and all that business. That made me a bit different at school. I could do these little, oh, that's quite interesting. Yeah. He showed me this. He used to get a Magic magazine sent to him every month, sort of like trade. Yeah. You know, in the days when magazines used to be sent as subscription things. And there were two, most of it was tricks and, you know, ideas and stuff like that. But there were two people who used to write a monthly article mm-hmm. in this magazine one of whom was called Billy McComb and one of whom was called George Johnston, one based in England, one based in America. And okay. all they were talking... And their, their monthly article was what they'd been doing in the last month, sort of shows and anecdotes. And and they were just all these brilliant stories. It was just... You know, and neither of them were particularly famous or as household names. They were just yeah. good jobbing acts. Okay. Um, so Billy was doing cruises and... I mean, you know, Billy was you know, was very, very good. Boy at the Palladium and, and, you know, Royal Variety shows and stuff like that. So he was he was a he was a good magician, but not a household name or anything like that. But he was just doing all these oh you go, this is this sounds brilliant. you know, he's off on a cruise this week and then he'd have his photos okay. of the pyramids and meeting other magicians that, you know, he said, Oh I met you know, I saw this other magician working on the quayside uh-huh. doing some sort of street performing thing. And, and George Johnson was doing all these sort of, um, you know, banquet shows in America, sort of corporate type things and working with all these big names as, as just a very sort of solid act, mm-hmm. support act in, mm-hmm. a, in a variety bill or, you know, headlining in Las Vegas. You know, they'd always have a magician or juggler or comedian, whatever, mm-hmm. on, you know, before the sort of headline spot. So they all work with really big people. 
And uh, I was just going, that's, that's brilliant. That's what I want to do. Yeah. That's, I just want to do this, what they're doing of swanning around and, you know, <laughs> see, the sounds world, brilliant. Around, see, see the world, swan meet around. great people. Meet great people. Yeah. Have these, you know, great stories about working, mm. every, you know, panto and circus mm. and cruises and everywhere. So, and, and they were... Um, you know, this was probably in the 70s, I guess. So they were talking about working with Bob Hope and Jack Benny mm. and people like that. So then I started reading those biographies and all those people that I was reading about and whose autobiographies I read and were very sort of gag-packed mm. autobiographies like George Burns, Jack Benny, um, uh, Bob Hope, Joan Rivers are all very one-liner Mm-hmm. Orientated, yes. So okay. I was, I was, you know. So that sort of programmed already. Like, pro- this is programmed. This do, is yeah. what you do. This okay. is what you, these, you know. So that that was sort of one element. One element of oh, right, I want a very rapid mm-hmm. laugh rate. And then I was working at Hamleys just after I left left school, selling magic. It was. Magic selling magic, magic. That's a classic magic. introduction. Absolutely, it's like, absolutely. It's it's like, like um, uh, the I conveyor think, belt. I think Mickey Flanagan's nephew uh, works or worked at the you know the little magic stand in Covent Garden, right? Yes. North Hall. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you can see people go there. Oh, I turned up, and then once you're working at the magic stand, you see people doing yeah. shows, and you go, "Hang, Hang on, on a I can second, do I can, stuff. I can yeah, do this yeah. Over there. <laughs> That's the conveyor belt, yeah. exactly. Um, so I was doing that, and that was the time that Paul Daniels was just doing his first West End run. And he'd just come to prominence. He'd maybe had one TV series on at that stage. So you're talking, um, you know, really early 80s. And he went into the West End for a month's run leading up to Christmas and ended up staying there for 14 months. Okay. He did a 14-month run Jeez. in the West End, as okay. a, you know. Well, I was saying a one-man show, but he had other acts in the, sure, you know, sure. special acts in the, in the show. So I went to see it a couple of times, well, probably maybe three or four times over the course of the year because I was working just down the road. And he was really hungry in those days, yes. you know, just out of the clubs. No one had really seen anyone do this sort of mixing magic and, you know, patter before. And really? Yeah. Was not, Daniels not, one, of the, one of the exponents in, of that? In, 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 term, in terms of being the sort of cheeky chappy and mm. actually being quite digging at people, yes. you know, as opposed to, the, you know, the guys before that have been like David Nixon and Robert Harbin, which was all very okay. sort of gentlemanly and, uh, gotcha. would you, you know, would you, could I possibly borrow a cigarette off you and all this business, okay, you know, okay. and Daniels is going, well, have you got a note? You know, give us a note. Yeah. Like, and I'd give him a ten pound note and he'd rip it in half and give them back, you know, that's a stupid thing to do, wasn't it? You know, yeah. just ask you, you know, so it was that, it was yeah. much, it was that undercurrent of like, Okay, More. that's so interesting. The way that the the alternative becomes the mainstream. Yeah, no, to absolutely. Think that at some point, Paul Daniels was but, but no, the he kid. Was, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and also in those days, you know, I mean, and, and part of it was, you know, he was hungry and had a lot to mm. prove in those mm. days. You know, because oh my god, this is my big chance and everything like that. He was incredibly quick on stage. I mean, at one stage, you'd have five people on stage and they'd go, "What's your name? What do you do for a living?" He'd have a he'd have a gag for every name. He'd had yeah. a He'd have a gag for every living, uh, every profession. And you sort of go, OK, well, that's just a question of sitting down and going, OK, right, plumber, if I get a plumber, I'm going to say this. If yeah, I get, yeah. I'm get someone who works with aircraft, I'll say this. Yeah. But then on, while they're up on stage, he's going, the two of you should get together. Oh, because lovely. if you did that, and, and then he, and you're going, what? That's, bloody hell, that's not written. Yes, that's, great. That's him thinking on his feet and stuff like yeah. that. So, so, 
and, you know, and really impressively fast and funny and, you know, a great, really great show. So, and he'd come into Hamlet occasionally because he was, mm. you know, had a matinee and an evening show, so he'd wander okay. down and have a chat and stuff like that. And I'd say, well, how do you, how do you get to be <laughs> funny? Yeah. You know, because up until that stage, I'd read all these George Burns books and they've got gags in there, but, you know, you know, I was sort of half aware that they had writers, but I sort of thought most of it surely was coming from them and stuff. So he said, well, what you do is you read a load of comedy and you get the rhythm in your head of, of what comedy is. You know, if you're just reading it all the time. And he recommended me this American writer who, was, uh, who wrote monologues and gags for magicians and stand-up comedians in the 1950s, 1960s and put them out as books. So I mean, it was oh, an wow. actual monologue of of just light. One, one line just after just one one liner right after another. Okay. And just hundreds of them like that, and and they're from the fifties and the sixties. So a lot of them are dated. Yeah. You know, you're going. I, I don't even. Know, I mean, I don't even know what product you're talking about because yeah, it sure, was also sure. the topical stuff. And he was, you know, he's incredibly prolific. This guy. So I'd I'd read all these books, and you sort of go, oh, actually, now I see it's without reading a book on how to write comedy, a sort of you know. Uh, Jean Perret book or something like that yes. it's that thing of going you sort of go oh well actually I realise now that there's just that and if someone said something you sort of go oh well the natural thing to make it funny is add that on as the wow. second half of the sentence so this is so your equivalent of running upstairs and fighting chickens yes was, was, the montage, was reading books <laughs> like, yes. was you, was you uh, reading hundreds and hundreds, hundreds of, of one-liners one yeah that's fascinating yeah and you know there's an element of a lot of them were so old they were new again because people have forgotten yeah. about them. So you just yeah. go, well, fuck it, I haven't let anyone say that for a sure, while. I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll, use, I mean. I'll use that as a heckle stopper, <laughs> absolutely. Um, loads of it, like I say, because it was dated, was... I mean, there were loads of Edsel gags. Do you remember that? So Edsel was a car that came out in the, in the okay. 50s in America, okay. which was just a disaster. I mean, it was this right. huge marketing um, flop um, for a very funny reason, if you look it up on the internet. But anyway, um, <laughs> so it was this huge marketing flop and... There were all these gags about, you know, Edsel cars. Yeah. I'm sure it's called Edsel. I'm, I'm doubting myself now, but yeah, I'm sure it was called the Edsel. And uh, um, they were terrible cars. So there were all these lines about having terrible... Now, in the 80s, that was Sco- Larders and Skodas yeah, and, you sure. know. So you sort of go, well, actually, this now is an old gag format, but is now relevant again. Yes, and, yes, and, and okay. you know, and, and because everything is cyclical with uh-huh. politics and wars and religion and stuff sure, like that, sure. a lot of that stuff you could sort of go, oh, well, actually, yeah, you know, even if it wasn't relevant exactly as a one-liner in that form, you sure. sort of go, oh, actually, the underlying current of that theme of yes, that the gag... For, the formula. The formula yeah. is, is still good, or the, or the topic is still good, yes. or the link between X and Y that's happening at the moment is good. So it needs a, it needs a new gag, but that's a valid link or it's a valid formula but i need to find something to put that formula to okay. now okay so so yeah and, but consequently robert auburn was all very much one liner so so that was another you know plug in okay. the memory of okay that's what you do is you, you do one liners 
So thanks for downloading today's episode. This is a really interesting chat with Noel. Uh, if you've not seen his act, I hope it's not too late for you to try and track him down somewhere. He is still working, unusual gigs here and there, odds and sods, things things that he really wants to do. Uh, you're unlikely, I think, now to see him in uh, in any of the commercial comedy clubs. Um, but this is a, a really interesting chat. Noel has a unique position in that he straddles the worlds of magic and street performing as well as stand-up uh, and also runs, as you'll hear, uh, a, a unique uh, comedy walk in the city of Bath where he lives um, and we're going to be focusing on a lot of uh, very specific things maybe that we haven't touched on before uh, in the podcast we're going to be talking about having a certain act and honing it over years uh, tending a relatively small garden but but uh, in in I can never make the garden metaphor work but the point is it's uh, he has a, a certain amount of material that he's very well known for and rather than going up to Edinburgh and generating new material all the time he spent a large part of a, a, a very long career, 15 years plus, working on that same material. So we'll be talking about the differences of, of what it means as a comic to, to work in that in that more, in that older style I suppose that you don't see so often. Um, we're going to be talking about the nature of retirement, about happiness as ever, uh, about playing the game by your own rules um, but also we're going to talk um, there, there are there is some stuff here about street performing some of it in the, in the main show as well as the extras and some of that is about the nature of generic material we talk a bit about Covent Garden and the similarities that the model of Covent Garden has with the comedy circuit in terms of the development and the renewal of talent. I think that's a really interesting uh, theory that, that Noel has on that. Um, we talk a little bit about bottling a crowd, which some of you will know means asking for money after a show. And obviously that has a lot of uh, links with the free fringe. So that might be of interest. Uh, and also we'll be talking about uh, working support for a larger act and how one deals with fame. Uh, Noel, again, has got uh, some really fascinating theories on on fame and what exactly it is people are looking for, uh, certainly when he, he seems to regard himself as a jobbing act rather than a, a wannabe famous act. Um, so that's all of that. There's another little fun thing, which might be nice. Um, uh, in collaboration with uh, Danny McLaughlin and Dan Nightingale, a sort of a, an erstwhile collaboration, uh, I've decided to, to start a thing with the podcast called New Hack, uh, where you can send in your examples of things that uh, you are sick to the back teeth of seeing on the comedy circuit. Things not, not old hack, not you play this venue twice in your career, once the way up, once the way down, um, which isn't so much hack, to be fair, it's a bad example that's more like a, a classic joke but i'm talking about the sorts of things you hear up and down the country by new comedians such as saying strap in or buckle up every 10th sentence or boom uh, things that in the in the the words of in the mouth of the the writer of that material uh, could have been something really exciting and interesting uh, but which now has just become a very commonplace cliched thing to say so that's new hack hopefully we're going to have comedianscomedian.com backslash new hack up and running very soon but for now do email me info at comedianscomedian.com or put it on the facebook group uh, with your suggestions uh, and we will create i don't know either a game of bingo maybe doing bingo with to spot things as hack itself who knows but um you you know you, you i think you'll see this sort of thing i mean so uh, so please send those in that should be quite fun hopefully we can kill it stone dead um so a separate download which of course will be at comedianscomedian.com backslash noel uh, with extra material about Noel's walk and uh, his street show career, tips on what you're going to do if you're doing uh, cruise gigs and also some horror stories there, uh, and the origin of some specific gags in Noel's set. We're going to talk through some of those in detail. 
You can support this podcast in a couple of ways. Uh, you're unable to do so financially at the moment, although I'm hoping that will change. Um, but you can certainly support the podcast if you like it by passing it on, talking about it, telling people about it who you think might enjoy it. Uh, feel free to tweet it uh, with reference at Compod. <laughs> with reference? Who says that? This is a terrible thing I've noticed I'm doing whenever I'm on Twitter. I, I write in a tweet and then I hit return as if that's going to send it. Makes me feel very old. Um, do tell people on Twitter about the show. Our Twitter feed is at ComComPod. Uh, info at comedianscomedian.com if you'd like to send me an email with uh, suggestions for the show, recommendations for people you'd like to see on the show for guests. Um, and also you can join the Facebook group, which is facebook.com backslash comedianscomedian. So I think that's all the, the blurb I need to tell you. Very last thing uh, before we go back to Noel um, is if you are interested in being on the show, if you're a comedian and you'd like to be on the show, uh, then remember, please... Uh, don't simply come up to me and say, hey, can I be on your podcast? Because that makes me think you don't listen to it. Uh, so if you would like to be on the show, feel free to tweet, text, or speak to me backstage at a gig sometime and simply say this sentence to me. I'd be very pleased to be introduced to your beautiful daughter. Uh, that's the code for now. We'll see if that, uh, if that works over time. Now, back to Noel Britton. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. And then I came to Bath to go to university, started street performing while I was here, and consequently that was, that was the street act as a, you know... Right, I'm just going to get as many gags in there as possible. Were you doing magic on the street? Was that the skill element? So yeah, there was yeah, it was a sort of cod um, cod magic trick, puppet routine, escapology thing. Did you do and, it's a boy? Uh, sorry, <laughs> Did you do it's a boy during the escapology thing? No. Yeah. Oh, what the? What yeah, the yeah, no, yeah. no, 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 just no. Just for the benefit of our yes. uh, for the benefit of our <laughs> I, I don't know, standard the Josser or whatever the non carny yeah. among you. Um, <laughs> The uh, the it's a boy is an incredibly standard line performed by escapology uh, artists, escape artists, when they've got the uh, the crook of their elbow just coming over their face when they're removing a straight jacket, and so their face is being pushed out of this sort of orifice between their uh, chest and elbow it's to go. It's a boy, and it invariably is a boy. Yes, very, yes. Few, <laughs> very few girls. Very few girls. Yeah, but that's I mean that's a classic kind of that's almost like a module with the straight jacket, and I always think the. The class of a straitjacket act is is uh, predicated on the fact that they don't don't use, do it's a don't point. use that yeah. right yes because yeah. no one knows it it's a definitely huge laugh but you'll know that everyone watching you who's in the know yes. will know that you're an it's a boy person yes yeah 
But then from that, you do go into this thing of like, well, who are you doing it for? Are you doing it for the audience? Are you doing it for other performers or, or yourself? Or what, what is it that you're... And again, that all comes back to what your mindset is and, and why, sure. why you've got into something in the, sure. in the first place. So, you know, you can look at someone on TV and go... God, I'd love to be, you know, having all those people staring at you and be that rich and... Yes, yes, okay. You know, now that's a... That's one way of doing it. That's one way of doing it, yeah. Yeah. And and, and if that's what your goal is and that's what your underlying thinking is, then that's the way that you'll act to to progress through the career and that's what you're... Those those elements that you're looking for. Whereas if you come from a different mindset, you're looking for different things and and stuff like that. So, So... and yeah. I should say as well, I, 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 I think I probably, throughout my street performing career, which is about sort of 10 years or so on and off, um, I probably was guilty of picking certain, like picking and choosing the stuff I was prepared to do that was generic. Yes. Because there's certainly stuff I did that, felt, that I felt like, oh, this is how it's done. Yeah, yeah. And I think my excuse at the time would have been, uh, not as a non-magic performer, I was a juggler and a you know, quasi-tightrope, quasi-acrobatic person, but <laughs> very, very quasi. Um, and... Uh, uh, I think my excuse at the time or my mindset would have been street performing is so difficult to go out in Chester on a Wednesday afternoon and right. try to get a crowd to stay. I felt like, look, anything, anything goes. Just, yeah. I'm just going to go for anything. And then once I can maintain a crowd, once I can get an edge and hold it, then I'll, you know, try to give back as much as I've taken out. Right. You know, which I might have done in some sort of things. So yeah. I, I feel it, I'm just saying, I'm oh, no, 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 it's taking on it to boy. Yeah, no, absolutely. Right no, no, no. I mean, no, no, I think there are elements with that and, and there are elements of that with, with stand up and stuff like that. You know, I mean, that there are sort of, you know, as hack lines as empty tables on the front row and, you know, yeah. oh, it's the camouflage unit in or the yeah, apathy yeah. society or any of those lines that you sort of go, sure. well, those are as hack on the circuit as it's yes. a boy yes. in just that thing of like, oh, well, that's the situation, that's the line that covers that situation. Now, sure. you, you could try and think up a new line yeah, or you could just go, oh, fuck it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and I suppose when you're a new comic, simply learning that that is the line that's said feels yes. like an achievement. Yeah. Oh, I saw this guy get stuck like this yeah. before, so I'll do that and get yeah. a bit like he did. Yeah. And I, I do think it's through often through comparing or... or, or it's occasionally comparing because that has sometimes the most problems to solve. Maybe it's through problem solving that you go, there's an issue here. Like that's why the, like, like uh, street performing money lines are often very generic. Right. Because yeah. You're solving the problem. problem of making what, yeah. Pay. Yeah. If you're comparing, then heckle put downs are the most, you know, that's a problem that yeah. you often have to solve. Yeah. So uh, then you there do, is you, an element of, and then you, you try other things. Yeah. You, yeah. I mean, you try that. I mean, like on the street at one stage, I was trying this thing desperately because I thought, well, theoretically, the show, my, my hatting line was sort of based on the fact that the reason that you've, you could walk away right now, you know, I yeah. mean, I've done the show, you can walk away, there's no, you know, there's no reason why you should give me money. All I want you to think is, have you enjoyed the show? Because if you have enjoyed the pe- the reason I've been able to afford to do this show this time is because yes. people in the past have given me money. Yes. Now, if you've enjoyed the show and you'd like other people to enjoy it in the future... Wonderful. Now... <laughs> Wonderful! <laughs> but, but not a single laugh in it, obviously. No. You're just going, this is a sort of slightly philosophical... Sure. You know, wouldn't, aren't, we, aren't we making the world a better place? It's effectively the, the live your dream speech, Absolutely. And then two weeks later, I'm going back to, I know which one's more profitable, <laughs> fold it up and put it yes, in... Yes, sure. You know, and you, and you sure. sort of go, well, I, you know, you tried it for a while and... Yeah, 
And then, well, why am I doing it? Well, I'm doing it for the money because I've still got to, yeah. got to eat and this stuff is, like that. So. This is it's very current, actually, very relevant to the uh, the free fringe at the Edinburgh Festival. I right. don't know when the last time was you went up to Edinburgh. Or... I did once in 1999, so, yes. Okay, well, right. it's, it's unrecognisable for, right. from then. Right, yeah. and, but now that uh, Peter Buckley Hill's free fringe and then the free festival as well have, have moved, uh, have become a thing, they've, they've, uh, they now exist. And so people are taking very new acts, often acts that are so new they haven't got a good 20, right. taking an hour up there. Right. because it doesn't cost them anything. It hasn't changed that much. Well, <laughs> um, but uh, myself and uh, who you, a guy who you might know, Pete Dobbing, who's a good friend of mine, also right. a, a, a kind of new act and a, a street performer, you know, a very uh, a very good street performer who started around the same time as, as I did. Uh, we've been giving almost workshops. I cannot stop myself from telling people how to ask for money at the end of a free free Right, show. yeah. And there are certain things that you should... Need you to say, yes, yeah. Exactly, like certain, certain key elements, which I'm not going to give away on the podcast, oh, but <laughs> maybe, maybe, you know... You're, you're, running, you're running your own workshop in a couple well, exactly, of weeks. Well, exactly, yeah, yeah, exactly. You want to give away. Money well spent. <laughs> um, well, we should be, we should be. Because it's... But, but that is one of the... That's an element I haven't ever considered, which is a really good... It's almost the epic sweep the the place in history there should be a name for for the bottling line when you tr- you try to convince the audience and the, the thing is it's true it is true what you say the reason you can do it now is because people enjoyed it before but reminding people that they are part of some this, broader this church broader, yes this isn't this life itself yes, yeah, that, yeah, that, that kind of angle <laughs> but there are no laughs no exactly and on the street yeah. you know comedy is king so yeah. that, that's what gets the money out of people yeah. so. Um, so yeah, so and but but the filtering thing. The, the other thing I was going to say about that was that this business of people seeing it go, oh, that's what you got to do. Because um, uh, the other thing, I, I never worked Covent Garden. I've never. No. I don't, okay. I've done one show in Covent Garden, but everything else was in. If I was in England, it was Bath or York or a couple of other places in England. But I've done. Know, a, I did one day in York. I did three shows. Right. And I was so pleased that Steve Faulkner told me beforehand. No one turns up. They hate it. And the last five minutes, you've got a massive crowd. crowd they yes. all pay. Yeah. If you haven't told me no, that, that, I've never mean, finished no. a single show. No. <laughs> well, each, 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 you know, each pitch does have its own. Yeah. Um, what's the word? Sort of, you know, you're built by your environment and stuff yes, like that. Absolutely. So I mean, you can still see. I mean, English acts definitely have a very different style to American acts and Australian acts. But even within England, you could sort of go, oh, well, that's definitely a Covent Garden act and that's more of a yes. Bath or York or Stratford act or whatever. Absolutely, yeah. Um, but what was interesting... So, so, so when I went to Covent Garden the first few times in the 80s when it just opened and there were street performers there, you went there and there are all these, like, really different acts like there was the Vicious yes. Boys and Pookie Snackenberger and the Popticians and Captain J.J. Waller and uh, all these really eclectic different acts that had sort of because this new venue had come up yes were all coming with their own little thing that they were into sure, sure. and then it was sort of time that Channel 4 was starting so Channel 4 went down oh these are great oh these are the sort of people we want for presenters because they're a bit anarchic and stuff like that mm-hmm. so they you know Angelo Abella from the Vicious Boys got taken out of the circuit and and um, uh, Luke from Pookie Snackenberger sort of developed Stomp and stuff like that so, sure. that, so that he was off the circuit so there were these acts being creamed off the top mm-hmm. which now meant there was more space for so new acts came in yeah. But they're not quite sure what to do. So they look yes. at the acts that are there already and go, Oh, this is what we're this is the sort this of thing. Is how it's this done. is this is how it works. Yeah. And then the next year a bit more gets taken off the top, which are usually the ones that are doing something slightly different because otherwise it's just like, well, this is all looks exactly the yes. same. So yes. the different ones get taken out each time, the ones that are quirky and have got something different to offer. So you end up with it getting more and more 
homogenized yeah. where eventually yeah. you're just going you turn up there and you look at a covent garden act and you go you know you watch three or four covent garden acts now to an yeah. extent yeah. Or, or cups and balls acts to, you know with gazzo sure. leading the sure. way and stuff like that and, and cellini and suddenly you go well that's that's it that's the same thing that yeah. that that is what you did not oh can i do something different that might be you know, quirky or whatever. It's just, oh, well, that's that's the f- formula. Presumably, when you get something where everything is very similar, maybe that's then the breeding ground for people to go, I've got to do something different to this. Yes, I, 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 playing, devil's ad, playing devil's advocate, the only thing I'd say with that is you've only got to do something slightly different. So, so you're never going to be anarchic. It's just going to be, oh, this looks slightly different to what the other people are doing yes. because yes. everyone's doing exactly the same and, thing. And, and I think stand-up is, is I was exactly, like that. I was going to say that, to bring that back to the stand-up circuit, there is from the heyday of alternative comedy in the 80s with people doing wild, wildly different things. Do you, as someone who's been on the circuit for a very long time, you must have seen stand-up go through those... Yeah, that yeah. Process as well. And, and I'm, I'm going to sound like, you know, Mr Old Curmudgeon now and stuff like that because, I mean, I was, I was quite old when I got onto the got into doing stand-up because mm-hmm. I've I'd, I'd been doing the street and then set up this this other thing, the, the comedy tour thing. So the stand-up was sort of last step in it. Um, so I'm 48 now. Uh-huh. I, I'm acting exactly like mainstream comics acted when I was younger, where I'm going... This isn't funny. This, this is no, this, <laughs> yeah, okay. This is this is what comedy is. But there's there's no there's no jokes in this. It's all just lots of performance and lots of yeah, whichever way around it is, all style and no substance, or the other way around. Yeah. You know, and I'm just going. I I just can't. I don't. I don't get it. It's not. It's not. I'm saying it's wrong or it's it's not comedy because obviously they're still entertaining a huge audience of people. Sure. But I'm standing there going. I just don't. I don't get this. And if you're following someone who's just done that and the audience has been pissing themselves, yes. there's a slight element of like, well, is this is this what they want? Is this still that? Because I'm still giving it, you know, Mr. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. You know, one-liners and stuff like that. And and most of the time, you know, it goes fine and stuff like that. And it's, all, it's all great. But you just sort of go, oh, well, is this is this... You know, is it moving on and it's a younger audience? and it's, You know, it's certainly a different audience to... And a know. differently trained audience as well now. People yeah. expect something different from comedy clubs now. Do you, do you think? I, with, I, with the yeah, amount I, of stand-up there is on TV that's... Uh... I, don't, I really don't know. I mean, like, uh, you know, I sort of... I don't feel that I do stand-up anymore now. I don't... I feel I've sort of retired okay. from it. I mean, I've just... Um, from the circuit, certainly... I mean, I've got, I think I've still got... Still available for private work. Still available for private work, yeah, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Um, you know, there are one or two things that I've, you know, I go, oh, actually, I'd, yeah, I'd still be interested in doing this mm. or that. But overall, mm. I've sort of stopped doing it for various reasons. Uh, you were talking about your... Uh, the, there are various reasons. As my first retiree right. uh, amongst my interview subjects, yeah. the various reasons for your retirement, one being that you feel less connected to what it is that circuit audiences want. Is that, would you say that's the case? That I mean, even if you're watching someone who's like a, a young guy and, and, and the, the common the whipping boy image of the circuit now is Tony Law's concept of a young boy in a T-shirt noticing things. Right. Which is, that's, you know, that, that's kind of... Like a uh, uh, product, lots of product in the hair. Yes. Skinny jeans, 
telling a story about something funny that happened to their friend and saying it was the funniest thing ever. Yes. That, there's a lot of that around. Yes. So is it that you see people laughing at that and you think, how can this audience possibly like what I'm doing? Or is it more that you... I mean, is there a sense of... I don't, I don't want to put I, I words think, in your I, mouth. There, is there, there a were, sense of disdain for... There were, there, were, there were various nails in the coffin. <laughs> OK, OK, go on. Over the course of several years. So, so that, that's one of them. Secondly... There's a feeling of I've sort of done what I want to do. Yes, yes. I mean, you you seem like a happy retiree. You've not given up. Oh God, no, you, no, you've no. Gone, right, I've completed it. I've no, and, and no to an ex- no, and and with the walk thing that I do, I mean, I've I've been doing that longer than I've been doing stand up, sure. and I'm still doing that, and I'm still enjoying that. Sure. So that is that I find interesting. So it's not right. like oh, well, I've, I'm, I'm not funny anymore. I've lost my passion about comedy or whatever. You just go. I don't like that particular. Yeah. Venue and environment to perform in anymore. Now, one of one of that was the travel and all that side of it, of you know. And yeah. and uh, and I was in the sort of jonglers glee club circuit when those were three or four nights a week, mm-hmm. you know. And that was going away to somewhere for three or four nights and and being able to drive there or take the train there and then sort of decamp into a hotel room yes. and. You hopefully know. you're on with people you like. And hopefully you're on with people yeah. that you like, not always, but hopefully you're on with people that you like. You know, and that was sort of... But now it's gone down to, you know, sort of two nights maximum and most people mm. are only... Most places are only one night. Friday's getting binned, left, right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, you're going, this is an awful lot of driving and travelling. To do, to do what? To do what I already know that I... Mm-hmm. Well, either can do or used to be able to do it. <laughs> so, so the travelling cycle, that, that all got me down. You know, in relation to petrol prices going up and traffic getting worse, and, and the gigs not the gigs not, not going up and stuff like that. So there's that element. There was a slight element of losing passion about it. I mean, I remember um, doing a show at Battersea Jonglers, flatlined, absolute silence, apart from the occasional stomach rumbling, and um, everyone else did fine. So it's not like oh, it's the audience or whatever. It's, yeah, you know, yeah. it's definitely they just didn't buy into me. And I remember driving home thinking, God, a few years ago, I would have, I would have bloody taken that as a challenge and tried to turn it. I would have done anything, yes, to just go, right, fuck it, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get you in all this business. I and see. I thought, no, oh, fuck it, I just, I know this should work. Yeah, the app works, ninety nine percent of the time, gets good reaction. You know, so. You know, it's it's a blip. You know, sure. Fuck it, sure. Not worried about it. Sure. You know, so I drive away. But but it was in my mind of like, God, that that's sort of losing the passion about it slightly. Well, is it not not, re- not the passion, but maybe just the you, you're just getting a bit. You've you've done it for a long time. If, if, you've, I think you've, you've got more more realistic about it or whatever. Absolutely, but but there's, there's it's a change of it's a change of mindset sure. from. Sure. You know what it's like. I'm going to show them. You know. Yeah, yeah. And, and then when you get to clubs and there's some open spot who is skinny jeans and hair product yeah where it means so much to them and they're so you know oh and and you're just sitting there going oh there's that program on tv tonight i really wanted to see that you know i mean you just go oh am i becoming you know bitter old (laughs) bitter old pro or whatever so so that was an element of the of of the bassy one um and the other thing the other slight Theory I've got, and I know theory is a bit wanky, but um, if you're doing stand up all the time, 
mm. and you're an act that's part of a three-act bill or whatever, and three, two, three-act bill. I think there's an element after a few years... You might not have got there yet. Go on. <laughs> I'm trying to guess. I, I certainly have. I'm trying to walk out what you're going to say. Where you think, actually, it wouldn't matter if I was here or someone else was here. If, if they swap me now at the last minute, you know, and, and Jean-Luc used to. I mean, Jean-Luc would suddenly go, oh, can you not do Leicester? Can you do nothing? Sure, sure. Can you swap yeah, round? You know, there was no one picketing the building with like, you know, where, we where's Noel Britton? Exactly, <laughs> yeah. you know. You sort of go, it, you're just a bit of a bit of a commodity in the, in, mm-hmm. within that club circuit environment which is why everyone wants to not everyone but a lot of people are you know clamoring to be I want to do my own thing and be be, be a star and tour and everything like that now I think to a smaller element than that is people going up to Edinburgh Mm -hmm. you're going well I could be working a club during August yes with 350 people in it who actually don't know who the fuck I am Yes. And, and wouldn't care if I was there or not. And probably, actually, if the disco started half an hour earlier, might be <laughs> might, might be even happier than me being there. Um, or I could go up to Edinburgh and have six people sitting in the audience, but at for? least those six people have said, "I want to see hmm. Charlie Farns Barnes, and I'm hmm. gonna I'm gonna spend my I'm gonna spend my money to come and see you for an hour." And that hmm. is. Uh, uh, ego with a small e sort of gratification thing of like you know I'm I'm feeling justified with what I'm doing now with me an awful lot of that comes through the the comedy sort of thing the the walk thing that I do in Bath So one of the things that I try and focus on in, in the podcast is about how people write. So let's use the walk to get into that. If you talk about the if the walk is kind of a set now, isn't it? It does yes. have magical elements to it, but yes. it's effectively a script. Have you yes. ever written it down? No. Has it always just come about through improvisation and then... It was sort of a bit like the stand-up, scripted in the... Uh, and again, this, it, you see, it always comes back to this mindset thing. You mm. see, with Billy McComb and George Johnson, it was... Within them talking about doing these all these various jobs that they were doing, you just got the impression that this all they were working towards was this very honed yeah. twenty minutes or forty minutes or whatever it whatever it was. I mean, I mean, Billy bless him had sort of three and a half hours of material because he did the cruise ships all the time and they needed that much material. Mm-hmm. But it was it was always very much about honing stuff as opposed to oh, I'm going to try something new. And and myself and an American act that I know very well, always going. God, do you realise we were born about fifty years too late. You know, if we yes. if yeah, we'd okay. been in that different environment when that was what you were meant to do, um, you know, we'd be we'd be uh, well, we'd be we'd be the accepted form, or, or seen as not, not not successful, but seen as you know, as opposed to you know, I, I know on the circuit, that people would look at me and go, God, he's done exactly the same 20 minutes for yes. 12, 15 years or whatever sure. it is, you know. Um, how can he possibly live with himself? What does he think <laughs> he's doing? Oh, for God's sake. You know, in the same way that I've stood at the back of clubs when another act's been on, the, who, again, I sort of saw as non... <laughs> changing but yeah. professionally as reliable as myself yes. in terms of audience reaction and stuff like that going sure. god i mean this is and that was and and i i love that process i love that thing of like oh god how do you just 
tweak that line a bit more and is that a slightly longer pause and yes you know and how do there's you... a whole world in there isn't it yeah, it's no, like absolutely. it's like being you you can you can tend one garden and you can tend that one garden for 40 yeah. years or you can go out and plant I've, I've, shrubs I've, all over I've, the place. I don't know where this is going, but I've, you see my point. I've just been tending the one plant. That's, yeah. that's right. <laughs> I mean, I, I dream of a garden. So, um, yeah, so that is sort of... And I was writing stuff, but I just put it in notebooks and stuff like that. I mean, I just sort of... And again, this is a mindset thing that I, I always talk to people about, is when do you try new material? Mm. Okay, And to me, there are these are the extremes, you know, and, and most people are somewhere between them. But the absolute extreme is, this is a great audience. What a brilliant audience. I'm going to give them the best stuff that I yes. know, which is yes. my well-honed 20 minutes. This is a terrible audience. Got the one thing that's going to get them is my well-honed 20 minutes, because I know sure. that works and I can, if that doesn't work, at least I'm not walking away from here going, well, it was me. Yeah. Other end of the scale... This is the best audience I've ever had. What a brilliant time to try new material. Of course. Or, this is the worst audience I've ever had. Well, sod it, I might as well try the new stuff now. If I'm going to go down the pan, at least I can have this, at least I can have this as a testing ground and just see while I'm saying it whether something extra comes into it. And Sure. So, I'm the first one. I am. Well, I'll stick, I'll stick with the act, you know. I'll, I'll write these other bits and occasionally I was, you know, put a bit in here and a bit in there. But basically, overall, I am quite happy, you know, piling out the same old crap. Now, that that potentially is why I lost the passion for it or, you know, got bored with it or whatever or, you know, suddenly driving three hours to do exactly the same thing isn't the same as driving three hours to... To work on to your try, exciting to try, new bit, ..to try yeah. a new line. Yeah. And you but, made but, me want to draw a, a sort of XY axis now and present yes. it to all comedians no, absolutely. I interviewed. No, I think... But that's the sort of... It's all those things that once you actually get aware of, then all the other crap sort of disappears because you just go, well, that's... okay. that's what I am. Mm. So there's no point in worrying about what these other people are Mm. because it's so insular, the comedy world and and, and the magic world and the performing world generally, that it's, it's very difficult not to get sucked into other people's oh, this is what you should be doing and why aren't you, you know, yes. you get to be, why, why aren't you on TV? Why aren't you doing any TV? You go, well, I don't want to do any TV. You go, oh, all right, okay. Like that, you know, but but it's very difficult not to get drawn into yes. those things unless you're so aware. So, so, you know, stuff like that, stuff on your, why you're doing it and what your views are towards success and stuff like that, what your views are towards, you know, material and, and, and writing stuff and doing new stuff and whether you've got, you know, I, I I know generally, not outside, just in the comedy field, but I know generally I've got, and I never know which way around it is, whether I've got a high boredom threshold or a low boredom threshold, yes. I can quite easily do soddle for a long, long time. I, yeah. I'm not one of those people that needs to be doing new things. And, and I've worked with people who are like that, who yeah. are just like, oh, I'm, I'm in scuba diving now, I just, uh, you know, and then it's three weeks on that, and they've sort of really got into it, and they've done all the reading on it, and they can. Now it's, I'm into chess. Chess, that's, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah. And you just go, okay, you're one of those people that's like you know, doing lots of things and getting really good at them or just doing lots of things and not being good at them. But I don't need that. Do 
just as a, and we can, this can be a final thing if you're, we've, I'm not, we've spoken I'm, I'm, for a while. I've got nothing to do for the rest of today. <laughs> I'm going to leave that in. <laughs> um, I'm interested in, in, you said before that you've, you've not written, you said in your email to me earlier on, you know, you've not written anything new for a long time for the stand-up. Right. When you were writing, when you were making stand-up, when you were blazing a trail and, and excited by the challenge and all those sort of things, did you have a writing process? No. Did no, you I mean, write like, things down? Uh, yes, I'd write notes down and ideas down and stuff like that. And, and the main time I guess I was writing for the stand-up was, was when I... Because you, you wrote and you said, would you, you know, would you be happy to do the podcast? And I said, yes, delighted. And you said, oh, well, you know, I'll interview where you normally write. Yes. Could, we, could, could I interview where you normally write? And I said, I sold that house 15 years yes, ago. Yes, so it was a lovely guy. So, which was... <laughs> which was sort of, it does sort of sum it up. But... Um, <laughs> So yeah, so I, so I when I was comp again, it's this comparing thing, you know. I was comparing at uh, two local clubs mm. regularly, and you'd go, well, it's it's the same audience turning up each week, so I'm meant to write different stuff. And years and years and years ago, when I was street performing, I had no concept of even doing stand up. For some weird reason, I got booked at Frank Skinner's club okay. when he was in Birmingham. I mean, right. pre pre everything, pre Perrieri and everything. Um, and sort of that was the only stand-up I'd seen, and, and I, th- I think we did two or th- two different clubs in Birmingham for two nights, and then came down to Bristol and did a, the Fleece and Firkin in Bristol. Or maybe that was another, maybe that was a separate thing. But I'd sort of seen him and, and thought, well, he's obviously writing all this stuff each week because, yes. you know, it was it was very much the Frank Skinner show. It was very much the, you know. Yeah. They were there to see Frank because he was phenomenal and stuff like that. And, oh, here, I've got a couple of acts now and stuff like that. So it was definitely, it's a regular audience. It's not that it was a different audience and you're just doing the same stuff each week. So I sort of assume that's what you sort of did as a mm. compare. So I was writing stuff and doing that thing of, you know, a couple of topical things from the local paper and a couple of things from the paper and a couple of things that you just sort of thought about generally. And, and yeah, and that, and that sort of bits of it were cut out of there and when mm. I started doing so yeah that, that was the other thing I was aware of. And, and again this is going back years when there wasn't the number of acts that there are now I was very aware of the at that time Hackney Empire of the New Hackney Empire New Act of the Year and Ha Bloody Ha New Act of yeah. the Year those were the sort of two London okay. big London competitions okay. so my theory was I'm, and, and you know again because I've had the street performing thing before that my performing skills were up in that yes. I was happy in front of being an audience yes, and yes. had, you know, lines and bits and knew how to work an audience and stuff like that. So I was aware that I was sort of above the game where I should be for the amount of time mm-hmm. I've been doing stand-up. But I thought, what I'm going to do, I'm going to stay out of London, I'm going to do all this stuff that I can out of London, then uh, go okay. in, do these two competitions, Good because strategy. I thought yeah. I don't want to be seen. I went up and did a couple of open mic spots mm-hmm. here and there, just just to sort of see clubs in London and stuff like that, but I was very aware from from seeing open spots within the club in Bristol and Bath. You'd see people coming back, getting incrementally better, well spotted, and the promoter that, and yeah. the promoter would always would never see when they'd got to the stage where you go. Actually, now I can book them mm. because what they'd seen was you just getting better over a length of time, and they still remember that first time when you came on, yeah, and you were. When I'm saying you, and I'm looking at you, I'm not, I don't mean you. <laughs> but, you know, when, when that person was crap, 
So my thing was like, right, okay, I don't want to go up to London and see to be getting incrementally better. Mm. I want to go in. I want to go in and be like, oh, right, where's where's he come from? So that was that was sort of part. That's of the, a really po- part oh, of the strategy. Where has he come from is a really powerful weapon. Yes, it doesn't last for long. I have no, to say, no. but also, and the way you describe it as part of the strategy, having a strategy. I mean, that's that's a bonus to begin with, isn't it? When I started, I didn't have a strategy. I I just thought, oh God, I want to do, oh, I'll do stuff. I'm here. I'll do I'll do things. And actually, you see people increasingly now. I think who've got this is the plan. Yes, and they yeah. seem empowered by it. Yes, they seem powerful because of it. Yeah, and again, I, as long as it is your plan. And it's built on what you think is mm. what your mindset is and stuff like that. You know, I think the, the problem is a lot of people have plans that are... Based on no research. <laughs> based, based on no research or, or even based on old research. And, and to my, you know, to the extent mine was as well, because I went in for Hackney Empire, New Act of the Year, and Hard Bloody Heart, New Act of the Year. I think either the year that or the year after suddenly... So you think you're funny, and all the Edinburgh yes. competitions actually became that was the one that all the people mm. were watching. You know, I mean, w- winning Hackney and, and Hard Bloody Hell were great because well, I could ring all the London clubs and go. And if you ever talk to Steve Jameson, he'll tell you what. Uh, yeah, he rang me up. And he said, I won the I won the award. Are oh, you going to book me like that? <laughs> and he, he, <laughs> really? Go well, Steve. I, what else can I say? Go well, no. But I just thought a bit cocky, and then you know, <laughs> then you came along. Oh, yeah, okay. Well, yeah, right. It was justified, I suppose. <laughs> um, so, so yes, I mean, I was that, you know, I had the right, the right strategy, but the wrong competitions and stuff like that. So yes. in the same way that I still think people, there is part of me that goes, and, and like I said, I've only done Edinburgh once because it's the busy time for the walk and stuff like that. But there's a mentality, I think, of people going to Edinburgh because, oh, that's what you do, because that's what Frank Skinner did and the Perrier thing and all that, you know, that's, and you're going, yeah, but actually that's, that's gone now. There's there's all yeah. these different ways that you could be doing things and people are still using... Yes, Frank Skinner, when he went, wasn't competing in a marketplace where everyone knew that Frank Skinner had gone up there and been successful and that's how it's done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you know. And, and now people go, oh, well, that's the, that's the path that you take to to do that thing. And you go, well, no, actually, there are all these other, you know, and, and, and people have clicked into them with YouTube and, mm. you know, social networking and all that sort of side of it. We go, actually, well, now maybe that's way more important than taking a show up to Edinburgh for a couple of years or whatever. Sure. So, um, so yes, I mean, if you've got a strategy, you've got to make sure it's, it's, it's up to date. Yeah. <laughs> I, I did a support slot for Lee Mack on, on two of his tours. And, uh, you know, Lee is one of those people that he, uh, he was doing 120 dates in his tour or whatever. Yeah. And he said, after 30, he was going, I was going, absolutely. Well, I've said all this stuff now, haven't I? I've got, I've got a bloody... I've got to say it 90 times again now. And, you know, and he's one of those people that is, like, you know, prolific and is a very good writer and writes good stuff and writes it quickly and well and, yeah. you know, and phenomenally for stand-up and for the sitcom sure. and is a good improviser and all those things, you know. But he was going, I just can't, you know, that was... You know, his boredom threshold is really low and mine is, like... You know, well, yeah, I've been saying this for 15 years and I'm still, you know, I'm not, bored's not the right word with it, you know, sort mm. of going, it's, you know, I'm still tweaking bits here and there and oh, sure. that, a bit of a longer pause there and stuff like that. And and, and that goes back to Billy and George and that's that's mm. what they did. They honed their act for years and years and years to make it as, as tight as possible. And, and you said right at the beginning of the interview, you go, oh, you don't know how many 
you know, I'm, you said you didn't know how many lines I had in my head for what happens and stuff like that. Sure. My, my other thing with it is I always, I always think slightly of an act like a tree in that you start off on this spot, you set off, and then you've got those questions that you can ask. Yeah. And you sort of know the reply is going to be this, this, or, you know, it could be a yes or no answer, or it could be, you know, where are you from? And that could be a different country, or it could be a different part of England. Well, each one of those branches off to a different yes. line and a different sure. thought or a different sure. gag or whatever. And and although you've got that starting point, by the time you've done all those little divisions, that the, the the end point could be any one of those ones at the top of the the yes. top of the tree. I see what you mean, yeah. So, and I think that's why I feel that, and I don't know whether it is. I mean, my, you know, but when people come on the walk, the first if, if they're, they're performers that I know and acts that I know, the first two things I say is, "Could you could you see everything? Could you hear everything?" That's that's mm-hmm. that's the first thing. Could you see everything? Could you hear everything? And then the third thing was, "Does it sound like I've said it a million times before, or does it still right. sound fresh?" Right. And people say, you know, people. That you know, I respect, but they might be saying it because they think that's what I want to hear. <laughs> Go, you know, you're so good at making things sound fresh. As if you just thought of as it. As if you just, just thought yeah. of it, and it hasn't. You haven't said it millions of times before. And if you've got that, if that's your speciality or one your stick or your, yeah. your, your, you know, one of your one of your the tools in your box, then you go. Well, actually, I can now. You know, that that, that doesn't worry me so much that I've said it millions of times before because to them it doesn't sound like I have and and to most of the people on the walk I know that they're only going to see it once because it's a tourist attraction and a tourist town and it's it's not something they're coming back to see time sure. and time again sure. um, you know in, in the same way with a stand up you know one of the things I was very aware of although I did like I said a couple of tiny TV things it was that thing if you go on TV that's that material mm. sort of blown would and, you and ever if you, be if you've interested? Got, if, you've got, if you've got two million people watching it, I would mm. prefer to spend a career... <laughs> performing to two million before, people before, one before, night at before, a time. Performing to 300 at a time. Would you, if someone came to you now and said, we'd like to tape your act and sell it as a DVD or, or something like that or put it on TV, given that you've, you know, notionally retired... Right. Would you be interested... I'm, I'm just... I'm not quite sure what I'm asking. I'm just like, hypothetically, if all of your stuff got burnt... Right. And, and you and you were remunerated for that. Yeah. Would you be interested in starting from scratch? Could you ever see yourself doing a Seinfeld, like in his documentary, Comedian, where he, he burns all his stuff and he goes out from scratch, plays the clubs, does the open spot stuff? Would you... Is there is there a part of you still that would go, God, could I do that? You know, would do, do you feel like you could write another hour? Presumably you've got the confidence in your material and your ability. Um... Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think I could. The reason I wouldn't is because the only way that I can envisage that stuff is doing it at the comedy in the comedy club circuit, and I yes. wouldn't want to do that. The process it would no. take time for it to build up and be tweaked. And no, I just, and... I just don't want to do the circuit. I just, gotcha. I don't really want that sort of. That's yes. gone now. Yes. I mean, I, I mean, I, I suppose the, an example would be. I mean, touring with Lee. Mm-hmm. Was phenomenal. Yeah, you know that's great. You're working yeah. big theatres, you yeah, know, in lovely circumstances with people that have gone out to see a good time. I mean, the, the only slight drawback is <laughs> they're there to see Lee, and yeah. oh shit, we've got to sit through this guy for half an hour. First sure. of all, so so there's an element of 
you know, you've got yeah. to get through that first of all. So, yeah, so, so, so touring with Lee was, was great. Now, Luke, Lee writes, you know, new hour each time he goes out on tour. I, I did two, three tours, one of his very first tours when he went mm. out, which was this very, you know, small one, and then a bit of the last one. Now, I, if he said to me, I'm thinking of going out on tour again, mm. would you write, I can't have you doing the same stuff because sure. you came out and told me last time. I'm 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 writing a whole new hour. Yeah. The least you can do, <laughs> absolutely least the you least can do. you can do, <laughs> is try and write a new twenty minutes. Would you be prepared to do that? Yeah, that I would do. Okay, and I think I could do it. Great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, apart from anything, I mean, I've got an hour and a half material that I do on the ships. You know, I mean, I do mm. three half hour slots on the ships. I mean, probably fifteen twenty minutes of it is ship-based stuff where yes, unless, sure. unless the whole theatre is rocking it's not going to make any sense whatsoever what about that buffet uh, yes, no, and no. My, <laughs> my very amusing drop the anchor heckle line um, so uh, that would all go but if he, if he said that to me I'd, I'd probably that I would probably do I'd be prepared to to do that yeah um, but whether he <laughs> would or not I don't. I don't know. You know. Sure. I don't. I don't know whether he'd go. Oh, I want someone. You know. I want someone different each time I go out there yeah, and stuff like that. You know. I mean, I, he. I mean, he's always said to me, "Oh, the great thing about you as a support act." It, and again, this. And again, this comes down to, um, uh, you know, what different people want from different performers and different things. He said, "I know you're going to do exactly the same thing every night." Yes. I know you're going to be pretty much word, word for word the same. You, you've got your yeah. little bits where you have a yes yeah. or a no and you've got a different line or, you know, this happens and you say that and that happens and you say that. He said, but overall, he said, I don't have to listen to you while you're doing it. <laughs> no, yes. maybe, maybe, maybe that was the end of it. <laughs> I, I don't have to listen to you. I don't have to listen to you while you're on. In just the same, in case. Just in case something comes up. Something. Yeah. And... So, so he liked that. He liked the fact that I'm static and I just stand at the mic and I don't move at all. Mm. And he's very frenetic and he moves around mm. stage. He likes the fact that I'm southern and he's northern. You know, so I mean, it's it's there's a contrast. Sure. But he said you're you're you know you're dependable and stuff like that. And yeah. and again, there's that thing of um, I did a street festival years ago with Chris Lynham, Chris the Piss. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Now Chris. Those who don't know him is one of those acts that will either take, take absolutely, <laughs> absolutely guarantee to either take the roof off the place mm. or walk off to the sound of his own footsteps. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's no, I, I don't think there's sort of middle ground with him really. Mm. I, you know, I just, I don't think people, I don't think he walks off stage. And goes, what do you think of him? Yeah, he's all right. Yeah. I mean, you just can't, you can't say that about him. No. You know, so he's got this huge sort of roller coaster. Of of and like I say, when he's when he hits it and they're into it and he's on and it's you go God, I'm, you've never seen anything like this. This is absolutely phenomenal. Mm. And when it goes the other way, it's still very it's still very watchable <laughs> for all the wrong reasons <laughs> as a performer. So I was doing, but my, you know, I was doing this street festival and he was doing this huge. Mm. It was in um, in Holland, and I mean, literally, and this is where on the street he was stripping down naked, sticking mm. his cock between his legs sticking a firework up his ass and singing There's No Business Like Show Business. And he was doing that on the street, in the street festival, in fairly Catholic towns on a Sunday. And the the car would be at the back of the pitch with the engine revving. And he would literally, some shows, just run 
dive into the car and they just like <laughs> screech out because like we're going to have you if you if you know if, if you even think you're going to be signing autographs after yeah, this when sure. you've got another thing coming but at the same time he had these amazing shows with huge crowds where i mean you know audience just literally you know hysterics wiping away mm. tears and stuff and I was going through on my fairly sort of bland street before me, you know, I'm not offending anyone and, you know, much more of a, uh, I was going to say flatline, but that's, that's always the wrong term. You know, <laughs> a much more gentle... Um, it's two yes, words, yes, flatter line. Yes, that's flatter line, flat yeah, that's line, right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's got to be a gentle rip on it. If it's, just, if it's just flat, then you're in trouble. But there was in my, my gentle ripple as opposed to his sort of, you know, huge tidal waves. And... Uh, and at the end of that festival, they booked Chris the following year, before the festival even, festival even finished, you know, oh, we want you back next year and stuff like that. You know, and you go, well, that's... And that's the, those are the sort of cult comedians when they do stuff yes. like that until they get such a big audience that actually you've got enough people within that cult to then become that a, 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 a viable, a viable yes. alternative audience. Yes, splitting the room, or, or rather, like, smashing it one night and dying the next means that after 100 gigs, 50 people thought you were the best thing they've ever yes. seen. and as long as they then turn up... rooms full of people. Yeah, 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 yeah. So all those sort of... You know, and, and people said that. I mean, I, I worked with Harry Hill once when he was on the circuit, and, and he, you know, did phenomenally that night, but I'd heard these stories where he was just like, you know, before he was known, mm. people just going, well, what, you know... Yeah. saying beds over and over again for five minutes. <laughs> what would, you know, what, what's that all about? What is, mm. you know, so, but if you get enough people who get it, then that becomes its own, but own it, viable audience. And it seems, coming back to your own career, it seems like you've made a virtue out of all of, like you really played the thing by your rules. You've made a virtue out of the things you like. You know, if you're if you're doing tour support for Lee Mack and you're happy to be doing the same thing, and you you that you've you've happily found your niche and occupied it and made a great life out of it, and yeah. now are very happy and have completed it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and done, and, that's yeah. incredible. Yeah. I mean, well done, mate. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know how many unhappy should, comedians should, there are out there? Should be a lot happier than I am. Aren't <laughs> I? Thank God my wife's not here. <laughs> uh, you call this happy? So there we go, ladies and gentlemen. Remember, you can go to comedianscomedian.com backslash Noel, that's N-O-E-L, for extra material about cruise ship gigs, uh, the bell curve of fame and some thoughts on that. And uh, we're going to talk through some very well-known gags of Noel's and uh, the origin of those, how how they came from... Uh, how he worked them in over the years, how they came from improvisation or ideas to to being part of a set honed over 15 years. And there's also quite a lot more information about The Walk and indeed Noel's love of orangutans that, uh, that I couldn't actually fit onto the main podcast, but all fascinating stuff nonetheless. Thanks, as always, to Toby Rose for tech support, to Tom Wateracre and uh, Graham Crockford for their technical support as well. Thanks to Two Entertain um, for, for their help and support. And uh, that'll do me, I think. Next one's coming out soon. I think it's going to be Fred McCauley next week. That's the other big news, is that hopefully I'm going to start chucking these out one a week. So, fingers crossed, and uh, I'll speak to you soon. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.